0: That's really encouraging. I do have to tell you, though, the science side of my mind, Corey, you probably thought of this too, maybe, uh, goes to the question, do they really allow a lit lantern to go on an airplane? Just trying to figure out, you know, How, how does that work? I, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's just something I thought of. I'd like to find out about it. Uh, so, anyway, uh, you're all looking good this morning. You know, it was week with three weekends there, and trying to figure out whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. A uh, little confusing, but you're here today, so you must have got it figured out. And we're glad you're here with us this morning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a major project I've been working on, finished up just recently, the last two, three years. Actually, a total of seven years altogether, and some of you heard of this as I graduated with my doctoral project, doctoral ministry. And one of the main questions that I was asking my project is, what happens when we go through those difficult times in terms of the decision-making process we go through? What are the decisions we make that help us to become more Christ-like, and what are the decisions we make during those tough times that hold us back, maybe even cause us to fall back some in our relationship with Christ? What goes on? That's a part of what I was studying, especially, like I say, during the last two or three years. And it was a difficult study in some ways because it's really a complex kind of thing that we go through. But it kept me engaged one of my friends who's a pastor, he did his doctoral project on how do you take a church and move it from the center of a city to the suburbs. And I don't know, that, just, that question would not have kept me engaged. But thinking about and hearing stories of what folks went through and studying, and many of you were involved in this, and going through and doing some surveys Just a lot of important things to be thinking about. So I'm going to share a little bit of what I learned. I could preach 52 messages on that study, but I've got this one this morning. So we're going to share a little bit. And one of the things that I was reminded of, some really simple kinds of things I learned, but in some ways also very deep, and that is that everyone struggles. We all struggle. We all go through difficult times. One of the things in my study that I did not do was I did not compare different kinds of suffering. One of the questions I had to answer as I was working on things was, how do you define suffering? And as I talked with my mentor professor, I talked about the fact that suffering is what you experience. And if it's suffering that you're going through, it's suffering. And I can't walk in your shoes. You can't walk in my shoes. But we can recognize that we all do walk in shoes that go through difficult places. And the same Jesus is there in all those places, right? He is. Now, one of the problems today is that we can isolate ourselves. All this technology that we've got between computers and TVs and cell phones is we just kind of do our own thing. We can withdraw. And, of course, that's always a human temptation and human problem. We'll go into that a little bit more later on. But I know that in my own life, that one of the messages that I got from my family growing up was, when those difficult times come, be tough. You know, get through them. And so my tendency, and the tendency maybe for some of us, is to just soldier on silently, to just get through it. And, And there are things we have to get through, but that's not a good message in general. It's not a good way to live. It actually increases the suffering that we go through. So we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where we're going to explore more how we develop spiritual community, how we live in spiritual community, how small groups, being in a small group, connected with other people in relationship, How it helps us through both the good times and the difficult times. 2 Corinthians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And one of the reasons why is because in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul looks back and he really shares his heart. He's very transparent. Now he had written some other letters to the church in Corinth. So we have the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, but I don't know if you know it, but scholars actually believe that there were possibly four letters to the Corinthians, and you can figure that out as you analyze what he says about how he's written to them and things. And so, 1 Corinthians, he's correcting them, he's saying, you got to get this figured out, sorted out, here's what's going on, it's not good. By the time he's writing 2 Corinthians, now he's saying, praise God, you're working through these things, and he's bringing healing and help and closure. And so, I just love that 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul shares his heart, because he can seem kind of intimidating, if you read Paul's writings... He can seem like, man, that guy's got it all figured out. He's a person of enormous self discipline, intense focus. He didn't have any problems. But in 2 Corinthians, we realize oh, yeah, everybody's got struggles, even the Apostle Paul. We've all got situations we're working through. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4, I spent a lot of time last winter. You know, when those cold days in January hit last year, Fridays, Saturdays, I I was fine. Just being down in the basement, just writing, reading, thinking, praying. And so a little bit of what I'm sharing with comes from that. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 begins in the same way that many of the letters that we have in the New Testament begin. We're told... This is the Apostle Paul, and in this case, in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, I have Timothy by my side, and Timothy was a good friend, good encourager, someone who was in close relationship with Paul. He says he's writing to the saints in in Corinth. And if you know anything about the church in Corinth, as you read through 1 Corinthians... Saint is not the word that would come to mind to describe the folks there. I mean, they were having legal issues where they were suing one another. They were having sexual issues. They were having love issues. They were having pride and arrogance issues. They were sinful and selfish. And you see all that come out when you read through 1 Corinthians. Some people might say that Corinth was kind of the Las Vegas of the ancient world. And in fact, if you called somebody in that time and place a Corinthian, you were offending them. Because you were saying you're a very immoral person. The word Corinthian came to describe everybody knew. It was someone who was quite immoral. Plus, as scholars have studied the culture of the time, they've said in the Roman culture of the time, people were very obsessed with stuff. And one scholar I read talked about the material obsession. He said there was in Rome and Roman culture of the time a rugged individualism. Statements that wealth was the key to status. Competition for honor that viewed boasting as this natural corollary and a pride in where somebody lived as a reflection of their social location. In other words, people boasted about their stuff, and they boasted about their status. And that's the kind of thing that applies to American culture, applies to many cultures. And so the people in Corinth, the church in Corinth, struggle with the same kinds of issues that we struggle with. The same kinds of pressures that we feel. The same kinds of temptations that we go through. The same kinds of problems that we deal with in our lives and in the life of our culture. And so Second Corinthians, we're going to dive into verse 3. So we think about difficult times, suffering times. Again, an obvious kind of thing, but harder To be able to really develop in our own lives. And that is the statement that encouragement, our ultimate encouragement, comes from God. And so it begins in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. Now, as parents, we try to comfort our children when they're going through difficult times, but God is the ultimate Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. All comfort begins in Him, it originates in Him. All mercy that we experience comes from Him. All grace that is given us, is, that's is poured out upon us, comes from Him. The peace we experience in our life comes from Him. The joy that we have comes from Him. He's the one who originates all of these things. And the one we turn to. He's the God of all comforts. In different kinds of situations, He gives us different kinds of comforts. So, in a congregation of our size, we know that lots of things going on. Some of us are experiencing severe loneliness. Some of us are going through the darkness of depression. Some of us have lots of financial troubles or pressure that's being put upon us. Some of us have despair. Some of us have physical things, going to doctor's appointments that other people don't really know about. Some of us have experienced loss. And ultimately... Ultimately, God's our comforter. And a part of growth, a part of growing in Christ, is learning during those difficult, despairing, depressing times that God knows. He knows what you're going through. He can comfort you. He will comfort you. He wants to comfort you you're open to his comfort, if you're receiving his comfort, calling upon his comfort. And so growth, one part of growth is learning to connect with God during those difficult times. Our spiritual community begins with God, and that's amazing. But don't just leave it there. That's what the rest of the message is about. Don't just leave it there because if we just leave it and only find our comfort in God, we're really missing a part of God's graciousness to us, which is the people who love us, care for us, or who want to love us and care for us. If if we'll open up to them, be transparent, vulnerable to them. So we'll come back to verses 4 through 7 a little bit later in the message. Let's jump down to verses 8 and 9. Suffering pushes us. Pushes us to our limits. And so the Apostle Paul confesses this in his own life. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Every indication we have of how the Apostle Paul lived is that he lived a very grueling schedule, that he sometimes would make tents, and he would utilize some of these monies For his provision for his life. He also had others who supported him and the band of missionaries that he was a part of. But a part of his income came from making those tents, and then he'd spend the rest of the day teaching or debating or evangelizing, giving counsel to people, writing letters. He had to figure out some ways to prepare some food. He had things going on. Sometimes he was persecuted. Sometimes he had people throwing rocks at him and yelling at him and doing all sorts of things that were difficult beyond the kinds of life that we experience. I sometimes think when I go overseas and talk with the pastors and leaders in the situations that they're in where they're persecuted, I think, wow, these guys really understand even better than I do the kinds of things that the Apostle Paul went through. So he says in the midst of this, and as you think about your life as well, some of the things we experience, he says, are far beyond our ability to endure. Paul had reached the limit of his body. He, he was able to do pretty amazing things, but he was leech, reached the limit of his own body, and at times we reach those limits, whether it's sickness, Whether it's a schedule and pressures that come from work or family life that's not going the way that ought to go, whether it's marriage stresses, whether it's just not things just not going well. There are times when we feel like I'm at my limit, experiences that are extremely difficult beyond our ability to endure, except for the strength of Jesus in us. He says, I came to the point where I recognized I could not rely on myself, but upon Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus. What we tend to do is that we have different ways that we rely upon ourselves. We have ways that we get through life that we've learned when we're younger. Like I told you in our family, that lesson was just grit it out. Just get through it. And so that tends to be one of the fallback kinds of ways that I try to get through those difficult times. But not necessarily all good, because then I miss out on some of the comfort and encouragement and ideas and resources that God has among others who are friends and encouragers, among pastors, among the people of God here at New Hope. So we rely on the things that have gotten us through and overcome in the past. For some of us, that might be our personalities our sparkling personalities, and we emotionally manipulate people to help us to overcome. Some of us rely upon our resources, whether those are financial resources, whether those are resources of energy, whether those are resources of a political situation that we can somehow get into the right situation with. He says, stop relying upon our own resources. Rely upon the resources of Jesus. When we rely upon the resources of Jesus, we can forgive over and over and over again. When we rely upon the resources of Jesus, we can turn the other cheek. When we rely upon the resources of Jesus within us, we can walk that extra mile. When we rely upon the resources of Jesus working in us, we can get through that illness. We can come alongside that friend, that family member who needs comfort. Apostle Paul says we despaired even of life. Christians do despair on occasion. Some of us have been at that point where the the pressure has gotten to us at that point. And it's in the midst of that despair again that Jesus shows up. These experiences we go through where we pray and ask God for healing again and again and again. And it doesn't seem to come. There's experiences we go through where we've come to believe a lie and that lie creeps up again and again and again like, I'm not worth anything. I'm ugly. I can't do this. And that lie gets reinforced over and over again and we need Jesus to break through that lie. We have situations where we go through the same temptation over And over again, we think, I can't overcome, and God says we can overcome. The Apostle Paul says, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Anyone is vulnerable to despair. Any one of us is vulnerable to despair at any time we try to negotiate those situations and work it out in our own strength, we're not going to have the strength. It's at that point where God says, take my strength, take my power, call upon me in your time of despair. And deliverance takes many forms. Verse 10. He has delivered us. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. He says, He has delivered me in the past. He is delivering me now, and He will deliver me in the future. And what that looks like, it's going to take many forms. Sometimes it takes the form that we often pray about is, God, take this situation away, take these, remove these circumstances, right? And he does do that. But sometimes, instead of taking the situation away, he changes us. Instead of changing the situation, he changes us. And that's a part of his work as well. Sometimes a wise counselor helps us to see new ways of thinking, new ways of relating, new ways of living. That's a part of the way God delivers us. Praise God. Sometimes a message here at New Hope, a message online, a message at a passion conference helps us to experience that breakthrough. And he does that helps us and delivers us. Where are you at this morning? Are you at the end of your rope? Are you despairing? Are you calling upon Jesus to rescue, to help, to strengthen? He's there for you. He is. He is. He loves you. He does. This is part of the lie that sometimes we think, oh, he doesn't love me. My situation is beyond him. He does. He does. And deliverance also happens when we're in relationship with other people who love us and care for us. And we are indeed today launching our Winter small groups in our application is that if you're not in a group, then take the opportunity to sign up and we'll do our best to help find a place. Sometimes some of you are connected and maybe you're not a part of our official small group program, whether that group's two to four people or more. But if you're not in a group, we want to help connect you and if you are in a group, then I want you to think this morning about how we can be an encouragement one to another and think a little bit more about that in the next few minutes. He says that, We pray and give thanks together as you help us by your prayers. Many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted in answer to the prayers of many. Deliverance came to the Apostle Paul and now he's saying, hey, this happened. You cared and prayed. You prayed and cared. And now look what God has done. And that's a part of what happens in our lives. As we care, we pray for one another. And when we pray for one another, we care. There used to be a time when... We were a smaller church, back when I first came, we were 50, 60 people, and we could easily pray for one another and care for one another in that group of 50, 60, and then we could even do that up until about 100, 150, but after that point, we recognized that we need to have small groups where we can do that one for another caring for one another, praying for one another, communicating with one another in compassionate ways. And when we're transparent, when we're vulnerable with one another, that's a part of what God does in providing that care and that compassion to us. So I understand a little bit more about how important this is. A part of the study that I did was to have some interviews with some folks and they were very vulnerable and transparent. I'm going to give you some anonymous quotes just to remind us of what happens if we don't share. One person uh, suffered because she talked about how She had moved away from the spiritual community that she had and the change of environment in moving impacted her life deeply. She said, without having people with me who follow Christ, that growth and nurturing was missing and so many of those things that are pivotal in that maturation process. Another person that I talked with said, something that was not helpful was isolation. Not sharing with parents, pastors, or other Christian friends was not productive at all. Another person said, looking back, one of the big mistakes was not sharing with people. Afterwards, I was talking with someone and she said, I wish we would have known. Community to me is where people take care of each other and you're vulnerable. You share things like that. I didn't utilize the people I had available to me. One person said that a lesson that they learned during their time of suffering was to not pull back. The tendency is to pull back, drop activities, to disengage from friendships and fellowship. This is the propensity with depression and anxiety to fight that by staying connected. We, we all have a tendency, especially if we tend to be more on the introverted side, we have a tendency to pull back and pull in. One author that I read said, too often suffering is framed as an individual issue. Such a perspective is harmful. Isolation leads to increased levels of pain, both in body and emotion. And... I'll agree with that, both in my own life, in the lives of those that I interviewed and talked with. God's designed us for a relationship. We've got to find a way to break through and be vulnerable with one another. Encourage one another. God has designed us in that way. We need brothers and sisters who will advocate with us and speak to us of Jesus-centered, gospel-centered kinds of ways of growth and encouragement. And not back off, not close ourselves to that. So let's go to verses 4 through 7 for our application. We can use our experiences to encourage others. That's what the Word says. So we can comfort those in any trouble with a comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. For distressed it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. The Apostle Paul had unique kinds of suffering experiences because of his role as an apostle, his role as an evangelist. We have unique kinds of sufferings that we go through both as believers and as people loved by God, created in the image of God. And yes, I can't walk in your shoes. You can't walk in my shoes. But the same Jesus is available to us To walk with us, to fill us with the Spirit of God. The same Jesus is available to us. You can be a help to others. You can. I know some of you think, well, I'm not very good at that. Get better at it. In relationship, in being open, vulnerable, finding out ways to listen better, to encourage to help others, we can grow in this. We can do it. So here's where small groups enter. If you don't have a group, then we want to help you find a group. If you're in a group, we want to help you do better as a group in encouraging one another, in being compassionate toward one another, engaging with others, in being real and vulnerable with one another. Final point, so small groups are not a program, they're not a program, they're the way we do church, the way we do real life together with one another. In the Bible, small groups were the primary way of doing church. Jesus did that with his disciples. We see it in the New Testament while they went and worshipped at the temple then they met together in homes and this is this is the way we do church small groups on our program churches in a program it's life together it's a church family of relationships and like i say we would love to help you find a group if we can do that fill out that card share it with us if we need to start a new group we'll try to figure out a way to start a new group Different time, different day, however, we need to do that. Be connected. Be encouraged. You can encourage someone. Someone can encourage you. It's part of God's plan. It's part of what God does. Let's call upon him, ask him to help us to do that. Lord, we come to you on this day, we know that there are situations in life that do push us to the limits. There is suffering we go through. Sometimes that only you know, but and you are faithful to us. Your mercy is new every morning. But we also know that we do need other people who can understand a little bit more of our situation, who can be an encouragement to us, and us to them. Help us to... Be encouragers and be encouraged to help us to enter into a spiritual community one with another. We know we won't do that perfectly, but help us to do it and to grow and to grow more Christ-like as we do it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tom.